Welcome to the Margin Business Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Chris, I'm very happy to have you here today. We got you, the CEO of Gusher. Um, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and about Gusher as well. And then um, we're going quickly into some real exciting stuff. Sure. Well, I, my background is I've started and operated a ton of companies, more than 24 individual companies in all different sectors, uh, from consumer goods to medical devices, SaaS companies, fintech, you name it. Uh, my newest venture is Gusher. Gusher is a platform to launch companies without the need for capital, without the need for investors. And people join these companies in exchange for performance-based equity. And what I usually say to founders is, imagine that you had a million or two million in capital in the bank right this second. Build your company that way uh, because we gusher it all day, every day, every different type of company you can imagine all across the globe. Uh, we have more than 300 different entities right now. Everything from consumer goods, manufacturing, SaaS, fintech, AR, VR, AI, gaming, medical devices, prop tech, you name it, we've got it. And we've got greater than an 80% success rate. So it's a neat, neat way of starting up a company. You don't need money. Oh, okay. How, what do you mean? Like you don't need money in order to build such a high level business that you just uh, uh, mentioned, like Gusha, for example, you don't need any money. Please explain more you're, about you're, that. We I'm actually sure. drank our own Kool-Aid. So think of it this way, okay? Most people are under the, the impression or belief that you come up with this idea, right? Uh, you, you may create a minimum viable product on your own, an MVP. You'll then have your pitch deck with your two guys in a garage. You go ahead out there, pitch, and this, this is the fairy tale of Silicon Valley. You then pitch to investors. You get your seed fund or maybe your, your, your Series A and you're off to the races. And a year, two, three years later, you're worth a billion bucks. Well, yes, that's nice and dandy. It's happened here and there. But the vast majority of time, it doesn't work. It falls flat. So what we do is we help that other 99.999% of people that have a phenomenal idea in their head, but they live in the wrong area. They're the wrong age. They're not the right ethnicity or gender or religion or whatever the hell it may be. Uh, they don't live in Silicon Valley, New York, or Israel, uh, which accounts for 95% of venture capital dollars. And so we show them exactly how to get their company started, how to get going, how to get it launched. And you don't need money. People join your company in exchange for performance-based equity. So they create something for you. They work on with you as a team. You create your MVP, but in our case, we call it market viable product, a company that becomes self-sustaining and or attracts larger scale capital instead of a minimum viable product. And then they're off to the races. They, they can go uh, grow that company and they usually don't need funding until they get in excess of 10 million. Uh, and then they just may need it for a roll up or a land grab or expansion, something like that. But you do not need money. It doesn't matter if you don't have a pot to piss in, uh, you can get your company going. Wow, that's, that's such a great information. I mean, I'm sure you heard, I'm sure you know that I am from the Amazon space most of the yep. time for the agent, we, we do the agency part. Um, and I'm sure that you heard a lot about um, the craziness, what is going on at the moment. There is these big companies called aggregators, yep. which are which are buying up businesses left and right. Um, yep. In 2021, just after or in the middle of COVID, um, we had about, um, let me don't get the number wrong. It was 12 billion. They had about 12 billion, um, which they were able 
in order to buy other companies. I mean, it's a, sure. a huge, it's a huge amount, not that huge. Like if you compare it to other industries, obviously it's still smaller, but it's yep. definitely in a, in a big amount. And it's definitely something um, for the next years to look at. So these companies actually bought all of these um, e-commerce businesses, this mom and pop stores, these yep. um, may, maybe even uh, what I just told you be before about companies which built up uh, for 10 years and they didn't even know how they build it up. So, and then these other companies, these aggregators are now trying to build them up and to make them bigger. So you, right. you, know, you, know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, your approach is a lot, lot more structured. What I'm just saying is that these companies right now, we are, I, I, I could always call it first stage or baby stage, because what's happening is that they are, um, we are now, I think it's the first wave, you know, and yeah. we're looking now at the second wave because we don't, there is, I, I haven't seen yet myself a company over, um, over a billion, uh, which has been sold to these type of companies. So I'm sure. sure we can see this within the next years. But what is your take on that? What do you think about the capital if there is a lot more coming in? So this is this is typically what I see. And I come from an, from an Austrian economics perspective, okay? So I'm not going to go into that, but there, there's a reason I think the way that I think. So in almost every industry, you see this. It's not just e-commerce. It's not limited to, let's say, that Amazon vertical, that niche, whatever it may be. What you end up seeing is when, when you end up having all these mom and pops start going in and doing a, a lot of business and getting a substantial amount of sales volume, somebody says to themselves, hey, we can go and aggregate this, we can do what's called a roll-up, start purchasing these companies, we get economies of scale in the operations, and therefore, logically, our margins should be greater. Okay, now that that's a good formula. In many industries, it has worked. Uh, in, in the U.S., it worked definitely with the waste industry. I mean, waste management became the one of the largest companies, if not the largest, in trash by going around the country and buying up these companies. So it's a proven system. With e-commerce, there's one thing though that really kind of worries me a little bit when you're doing that. Okay, you have all, it usually happens at the top of the market, which almost in a way you went into right off the bat in 2020. 21, right there, you had all this gunpowder going into it, uh, all this high uh, valuations, high multiples, chasing uh, this type of stuff. And so what usually happens is that party lasts for approximately 12, maybe 24 months, and then it does a reset, meaning that either the prices come down and they start looking at it more objectively, and or what ends up happening is another cycle of smaller entities is able to start penetrating again because they're able to learn and how to be more nimble. They're now at a different standard themselves to be able to penetrate. And now you have the whole new crop of smaller businesses coming in and taking pieces of that model that that's basically was just aggregated to begin with. So it's kind of like a never ending beautiful cycle. I mean, it's destructive capitalism when it comes down to its finest. I mean, that's literally the point of business. And that's what makes all the services and processes and things that we buy better or cheaper or faster or whatever it may be. It, it's basic economics. I mean, this is exactly what you're saying because it's exactly what happened now. We're in 2022, uh, 22, 23 now in, uh, we were in 2022. And what happened is they went all down to 2 billion. So the, the right. purchasing power was down to 2 billion. So you can imagine there is not a lot, there was not a lot going on. All the funds were used for internal operations 
which as well at the same time there were uh, have been done a lot of mistakes I, I don't go into into details from you know what what all sure. of these companies because if you can imagine a new company which has suddenly like 800 employees you know and everybody yeah. comes comes from a another mom and pop store or 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 a structured other company and then they try to to, to i think to, in order to try to see you reach the ceo you need like two days you know so it's right it's, it, it's complete it's complete madness so they try to figure out now how to put everything together so what what do you think within the next years how how will this look or how um will the capital go away or will there will be no a, a I, 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 it, it, if anything it'll increase and cycle so capital never goes away it goes down in cycles but it always comes back stronger than what it was but i think what's going to happen is almost in a way the model, models, instead of being just e-commerce, I think that what's going to end up happening is e-commerce in and of itself as a vertical will necessarily go deeper. Let me explain. So will it become like vertically integrated manufacturing in combination with that commerce? So meaning that, you know, the brand, the manufacturing, the distribution, everything almost in a way has to become a vertical line deeper. So right now you have all these manufacturers, I think 50, 60,000 plus in the US uh, alone that they really don't go that way. They don't necessarily think that way. But if I'm creating a new brand, I'm not looking for a manufacturer necessarily to do the manufacturing. I'm going ahead and steering the founders now to basically control that manufacturing, even at a small scale, because they can react and respond to those markets faster. But the other thing that we've seen is the aggregated, you keep talking about aggregation of the of these markets, is the aggregation of demand to form new business models uh, and basically having the manufacturing collaborative in volume to be able to produce for those. So you're seeing collaboration in manufacturing in a different way. I don't even call it just in time. It's like just in fad. It's like whatever that fad uh, thing is done that they can respond a hell of a lot quicker than previously with no inventory uh, uh, storage, uh, with no distribution costs. They're just creating that really on the fly as manuf- as the uh, as the sales demand it. It's exactly what I've seen as well, because, you know, if you have seen if you have seen China in the last years, if you have seen India in the last years, I mean, from the U.S., uh, it takes a, it takes quite a while to have a, like a big tanker coming through and uh, then docking into Los Angeles and uh, get the goods off and and if there is then like ninety tankers waiting to to get uh, uh, to to get on the land, it's gonna it's it's gonna t- take a little bit of time. So I was thinking like for the next years there must be something in the U.S. that that I don't know how they uh, the whole numbers. Um, from the manufacturers, I mean that it's get everything gets a lot, lot cheaper because people need to begin to start manufacturing in the U.S. Or even if U.S. is too expensive for some type of products, there is Mexico. Mexico is getting there. They are not there yet because you know yeah. there is a, the infrastructure and everything needs to it needs to prop up a lot. But you know this is what, but, this but is even what so, I'm seeing actually. But even so, with manufacturing, manufacturing has increasingly become less dependent upon labor. So yes, you have these costs that you're you're investing into manufacturing equipment, but even manufacturing equipment has become more and more modular. 
It has become more and more less barrier to entry where it's smaller to be able to do that. I remember with baking operations, we used to have uh, manufacturing lines that were literally 500, 1,000 feet long. You know, ovens were 150, 200 feet long. Now, in order to do those capacities, I mean, it's come down way more. And so those costs have come down more. And even so, those manufacturers, the machine manufacturers, you can enter into partnerships with now. And they're almost in a way now doing self-financing of that to become your partner to put you in business. So manufacturing, I, I don't care if labor costs are very high, you should be developing a system where that isn't very labor intensive to run those lines. So that becomes minimal cost for labor. And then you're, you're eliminating most of that shipping cost from overseas and the time required to do that. So you're competing viciously when you control your own manufacturing. I mean, insanely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely, that's some things we are talking about since months, actually. And the tendencies really go into that direction. And I've seen many, many, many um, Amazon sellers, which are very pro-China and pro-India, really trying to turn on their own, like to really manufacture in their own market. And there is these companies as well coming out of, of nowhere, which call the supply chain companies. I'm yep. sure you heard you heard of them as well. So they yep. are they are the ones now which actually setting the links between everything, and they're getting so good that they actually that you know you don't if you're a big manufacturer, okay, if you're a small manufacturer, you have like twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars to spend. Maybe you should sit yourself in into the plane, go to the manufacturing site, sleep there, and check your stuff with them. But if you have a little sure. bit more money, you know. You, you can give it to the supply chain company and they do everything for you and they even calculate the costs. And you, I 100% believe that you even get better rates at the end and you can compete better on the American market than if you go yourself and do, do you know, do this, do, do, do small things, you know? It, it, sure. And it, it's like this. It's kind of like there's, there's, you always say in, in the US, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. There's a thousand ways to skin a business. And, you know, these different options out there allow competition on different levels. I mean, many founders really like absolute control. Others like to be more of the brand where they're trying to figure out, okay, here's our base product and more of the marketing and they control on that side of it. You know, it does, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's however your DNA is written. The one thing I insist on is controlling the customer base because you control the customer base. You're able to then go ahead and determine how often you're going at those customers. You're able to get that brand loyalty. You're able to talk and listen uh, to those customers as a human being, which actually is the biggest value you add hearing from your customers and talking with those customers versus just the manufacturing the distribution the transactional stuff you know no definitely i understand completely what you're saying and you know the, the thing as well for the for the u.s market right now and you then you have when you look at the middle eastern market um i'm talking about equity uh, yep. fund funds which are now seems for me limited in the u.s so everyone goes and grabs them or try to get get funding in the UAE or or in Saudi Arabia or in some of the GCC, GCC countries because there's a lot more and that's why I'm going there is because of as well of e-commerce because e-commerce sure. e-commerce e over there is going to be big in the next years they they are they are preparing for such a big thing over there that um, I would I would even say that the funds that companies which I want to be funded in the US may even think about going uh, into the into the middle east or the gcc countries and 
you know, we have a project running. I'm saying this um, out of first hand because we are, we're looking, we were looking at the US, we were looking at the GCC and actually we went with GCC country because it's, it's not that it's easier, right? but you will have a lot, a lot, a lot of support over there. What do you think about that? What do you think about the next years? Where are we going to go? Well, think of it this way. In the U.S., if you're trying to raise venture capital, the numbers range from one in 700 at the best scenario to about one in 5,000, your chance of getting venture capital funding. It's extremely low. I mean, it's insanely low. Unless you live in New York, uh, uh, Silicon Valley, or Israel, even though Israel, I know, is another country, uh, believe it or not, most of it is tied to the U.S. in some way. So, you know, what it comes down to is there's got to be another methodology. Now, a lot of the deals, at least large scale real estate deals and larger scale uh, funds in the VC dollars, if you go ahead and follow where they come from, a lot of them come from the Middle East. A lot of them come from GCC countries. I mean, it's it's really substantial. Like I'm thinking right here of a couple of billionaires that live down in Wilmington, Delaware. Most of their funding comes from over there. I, I know that for a fact. So it's not unique, you know. But on the other hand, you know, the question comes down to where does the person, and this is where we step in, not, not to toot my own horn, but where does the, the person with just an idea that's not connected, that doesn't have the resource to go, how do they start? And there's a lot more of them than just a tight vertical. So, you know, there's definitely need out there from as many sources as possible. If they can get it from uh, somewhere in the Middle East and it makes more sense, go for it. You know, absolutely go for it. I think so as well. You know, the, for me, for me, like right now, the world for the next years is definitely this part of the world. Obviously, the, the U.S. is always um, uh, very, very positive as well for business uh, uh, is my my second thought when I think about business. Definitely. But at the moment is definitely the the the. The, the Middle Eastern countries. And, well, it makes uh, you smile. That, that way you know it's right, Omar. I mean, every time you, st- you talk about it, you smile and you light up. That, that's a good thing. <laughs> Great. And I wanted to ask you one more thing. Sure. Um, for, for, with your company or with what you got in hand right now, how can you specifically help now, for example, somebody who is, uh, let's say, want to start another business now, okay? Has already a few business behind him, want to start another business, has, I don't know, has some has some funds to put in. And this idea came now in his head and he really want to go for it. He called up Chris, how can you help him? Okay, first thing I would say is set those funds aside, use it for a living, don't invest a penny in the actual business because you don't have to. I mean, you really truly do not have to. Uh, the next thing is basically our thesis is, is that if you can get one person in your company for performance-based equity, those are the companies that take off like a rocket, those are the companies that actually succeed. If you're not able to, you're going to fail. So you're going to be able to find out real quickly whether or not your idea has traction, whether or not as a founder, even a serial founder, you're able to communicate that idea effectively, whether or not that idea resonates with a marketplace. Because if you're able to attract somebody in, that means that chances are you're going to be able to communicate to the market itself. And also chances are, it means that down the line, as you need it, or if you need it, you'll be able to talk to investors and communicate that the right way. But if you put it up on Gusher, you hear crickets, it's dead on arrival. Move on, change something, change the idea, change the way you're saying it, do something else because it's not going to fly. And it doesn't cost anything. That's really straightforward. That would be great. Chris, where can anybody contact you who want to get in contact, who, who wants to speak with you or have some questions or 
Yeah, sure. I, I'm easily reachable. I'm all over the web. You can find me anywhere, but you can go to me directly at gusher.co, G-U-S-H-E-R.co, gusher.co. Oh, Great. LinkedIn. Do you like LinkedIn as well? Yeah, LinkedIn. Dude, I get bombed on LinkedIn. Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody and their uncle calls me. I contacts me through LinkedIn. Sure. I like it as well. Very good. Yeah. And one more question I got. My pleasure. <laughs> I, I think it was a really good talk with you. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Just give us a message for, for all the entrepreneurs out there. One message. Yeah, Th one message is... that you got in your mind. All right. This is the thing. Inside of an entrepreneur, a founder, a human being, anyone... Everyone has that little tiny voice, that one little voice that says that they can do something, that they should try it, that they have an idea. And then they have a million voices that give them every reason not to do it, every reason under the sun. Everybody uh, out there in their external parts, go ahead and try to crush them, bring it down, reasons not to do it. Listen to that one little lone tiny voice because it is infinitely more powerful than all the other voices combined. And what you actually are doing is fighting for your soul there. That is everything. On your deathbed, if you don't listen to that little voice, you're going to regret it. Listen to that little voice and go after it, period. I like it. I like it. Thank you so much. Let's sure. wrap this up. This is, uh, this is amazing. Chris, maybe we can do this once again. Sure. Later point, but it's uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Me too. My pleasure. It's been a privilege.